I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, right down through verse 12. Our focus of our study will be verses 11 and 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Wow, what an awesome passage of Scripture that we have the opportunity to think through, study through, meditate through, and ultimately our desire is that we would worship God as we read and think through this passage. This passage gives us a mission. Now, uh, there are many mission statements that uh, you can come across in the world. I think of the mission statement of the Navy Reserve. I'm going to read it to you. Ready? The mission of the Navy Reserve is to provide strategic depth and deliver operational capabilities to the Navy and Marine Corps teams and joint force from peace to war. The ongoing mission of the Navy Reserve is to have the right people and develop them with the right training. Now, I would read the Air Guard mission, but it is much more complex because there are both uh, the dual roles of the National Guard with the federal government as well as state government, so I'm not going to read to you the Air Guard mission statement because it's too lengthy. As God's people, as God's church, we have a clear mission. The mission is to put on display the God who has loved us and created us and sustains us and has saved us and who will glorify us 
We want to put on display both who God is and what God has done. We want to be offering to the world around us the salvation that we ourselves have received. And this passage really encourages us in this way. He starts by telling us to put aside those elements that would refrain us from taking uh, forward steps in our growth with the Lord. So he tells us not to allow malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander to, to rule over us, but to set them aside. And then instead of allowing those things to be our feast, the things that we eat on and the things that nourish us, which actually decay us, uh, instead we're to feast on that which is pure and sincere. We, we feast on the Word. And through that feasting on the Word, God causes us to grow up in regard to the salvation that He has offered us. This passage in verse 2 is not saying that we can grow into a state of salvation, but grow with regard to the salvation that we've received. And then he, he makes this statement in verse 3. He says, you want to thirst and hunger after uh, the spiritual milk of the word so you can grow if, in fact, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And for those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ, we have tasted. And what we have tasted is glorious. He is sweet and satisfying. He is uh, nourishing and brings great joy and rejoicing to our souls. And so we have tasted. And then he goes on to talk about how the Lord Jesus was rejected, but we've come to him. We've come to the, the one who is beloved, the one who is chosen, who is precious, that God has uh, chosen to use to be the foundation stone that upon which everything else is measured, the cornerstone, this one. Uh, we have not stumbled over. We have believed. We've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we've been saved. And as a result of this, we'll not be put to shame. We'll never be sorry that we trusted Christ as our Savior. There are some that have stumbled over that stumbling stone. And unfortunately for them, if they continue to stumble rather than embrace him, they will, they will find shame and they will find the ultimate end of disobedience and rejecting the Lord. There's a destiny of eternal separation from God for those that reject Christ. But we're the chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. And God has called us to sing forth his praises. And we want to sing forth his praises today and tomorrow and the next day until the Lord takes our breath away. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then, when God takes our last breath on this life, so we don't have any more breath to breathe this terrestrial air, then we will breathe celestial air, heavenly air, and our bodies that God gives us will be pure and perfect and our minds that God renews will be perfect and pure and our praise to God will be sweeter than ever in that day when God brings us to be in his presence you know just this week uh, through the Associated Gospel Churches endorsing agency that endorses me in the ministry for uh, chaplaincy I, I read of two emails of two men that served God well they served God as uh, husbands and fathers, and they served God in the military ministry. 
uh, these men God took home to be with him. Uh, one um, died with regard to COVID-19, and another died based upon having uh, recently been diagnosed with cancer. They went from praising God in this life, telling other people about God in this life, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and the saving gospel in this life, and this week they opened their eyes in the presence of God. And forever they will sing his praise. We can rejoice in these things. It, it, it fills us with great joy that they have experienced the end of their faith, the salvation of their souls. Uh, we, we can rejoice that God has given us a similar task. I don't know how many more days I have in this life. I don't know how many more days you have in this life. But one thing we can know for sure is God has given us a mission. And that mission revolves around singing his praise. And that mission revolves around showing people how great he is, that they too can come to know Jesus as their Savior. And this passage points us to that. We want to look at verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this book is good so much. First Peter is a glorious book. In the first uh, section, Peter establishes God's gracious plan of calling believers out of the world and placing us into uh, his family as his children. He lets us know that we have a certain and glorious future. In the second major section, he talks about God's people as God's children, and he talks about how God's gracious work of salvation has made us a holy people, a loving people, a growing people, a believing people, and a praising people. Now as we enter into this next section, it would be the third and main section of Peter's letter, he really gets into the heart of the message where he lets us know what our call is, what our mission is. And he really is going to tell us the right way to live this life. In verses 11 and 12, he establishes the main principles of how to live in this current age, how we can really be kingdom-focused. And then in the next chapters, chapters 2, 3, and the first half of chapter 4, Peter is going to give us different ways that this fleshes out in our lives. He'll tell us the right way to live under government in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The right way to live as a servant or an employee in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. He'll tell wives the right way to live as a godly wife in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then in chapter 3 and verse 7, he'll tell Husbands, the right way to live as a husband. In chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, he'll tell us general principles about how we use our tongue for the Lord and how we're to live our lives as those that express love and sympathy and kindness and humility. General principles about living this life. And then in chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, he's going to let us know 
key elements of living this life. He'll say in uh, chapter 3 and verse 13, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Do this with meekness or gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. In other words, making sure you're living in a way that you know is right before the Lord so that when they slander you uh, as, as though you're an evildoers, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for doing good than it should be, um, excuse me, better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So there's, there's even more that, that goes on here. But our task this morning is verses 11 and 12. And the first concept that we want to notice in verse 11 is that we should remember our real home. Remember your real home. Here we are. Tropical storm, hurricane, whatever the case may be. The eye of the storm going over Block Island, landing somewhere to the east of Westerly. Go figure, the east of Westerly. At any rate, um, the, the winds are going to come and the, the rains are going to come and limbs might come down. Potentially a limb might come down on your home. We, we don't want our homes damaged. Something could come, you know, a, a, a limb or something could blow into your car, could shatter your windshield, all kinds of things can happen. But this world is, is just filled with temporary concepts, temporary items for us. Our homes, while we love them, I'm very thankful for the home the Lord has allowed me to live in. It's beautiful and comfortable, wonderful, I'm very thankful. But that's not my real home. The real home is still future. Look what he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So he begs them to remember that this world is not where we're banking all of our hope. No matter what you do in this life, no matter how well you build your house, at some point, if it doesn't leave you, you're going to leave it. Um, we're just here for a temporary time, sojourners. We're here for a little time, and then we go away. So we're, we're, we're meandering through. But it's not just sojourning. He uses the word exiles. Like we've been, been set here, and it's not really where, where we belong. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 3, doesn't he? That our citizenship is in heaven. That's the real home. And as Peter opens this next section that is so vitally important to our Christian life, he does so by setting our focus on the fact that what we're doing here is temporary. We're here for a little while, and this is not our home. And so remember where your real home is. And this concept of remembering where our real home is really sets us up to be able to suffer. It sets us up to be able to endure hardship. God has told us to endure hardship. This life is not about all the frills. This life is, is filled with challenges. Some of you have faced deep, deep, challenging and ongoing challenges. But you've been set up by God 
to thrive through it because you recognize that this world is not what you're living for. And so the temporary pains and the temporary distress and the reiteration of experiences or traumas that you've experienced, those things will go away at some point. They will be filled. The sorrows will be replaced with joy. The unrest will be replaced with peace. The the emptiness that can be there at times because of the difficulties of this life will be replaced with fullness. The pain will be replaced with wholeness. This is what we're promised. And Paul talked about it very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to these words in verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 4. I would recommend to you, if you struggle, if there are lots of challenges that you're facing um, and, and, and you find it so wearying to your soul, I would really challenge you to read 2 Corinthians 4 in its entirety, but really you can focus on verses 16, 17, and 18 and maybe even consider spending some time working on memorizing it. Listen to the words here. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Day after day, God allows us, if we will allow him, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We do that by looking at the word. We look at it remembering. Uh, we do that by remembering the promises he gives us. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He goes on to say, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, these are eternal. And that's how Peter draws our attention in this passage. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this world is not your home. Glory is on the other side. Don't allow the distresses of this life to cause you to refrain and pull back. Allow the challenges of this life to cause you to step forward recognizing what lies ahead. This, don't cling on to this world. Push through this world because God has something more. So we remember that this world is not our home. Remember your real home. Secondly, in the passage, we want to relinquish, let go of, our fleshly desires. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from passions, from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Well, that's, that's an easy statement to read. I can read that all day. Abstain from the fleshly passions, which wage war against your soul. Rolls right off the tongue. And yet, when the nitty gritty 
arrives and I'm hungry or tired or irritable and someone disturbs my plans, how easy is it then to abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against my soul? How easy is it when I want something and I'm desperate to have it done because I'm impatient to have my plans fulfilled and someone is the source of unraveling it. They're in the way. How easy is it then to abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul? It's not so easy at that point. What are these passions of the flesh? Well, they're too numerable, too numerous uh, for, for me to capture all of them. You really have to do some work on your own to think about what your passions of your flesh are. You know, for me, I mentioned a couple of them. I might be hungry or I might be tired or I might have some objective I'm trying to obtain. You know, I might be driving down the street and I want to get to Dunkin' Donuts and someone's driving less than the speed limit or they stop unnecessarily on Hardig Road. Hardig Road, you're driving down the road, stop. What do you stop for? There's nothing in front of you. There is someone behind you, I know, because I'm him. Tough. Sometimes that can be annoying. Why? I want my coffee and I want it now and I've got to get back. I've got some other things to do. I have some objectives to fulfill. Passions of the flesh. And what I have to remember in those moments is, I wonder if the Lord knew that person was going to be in my way. I wonder if the Lord ordained for that person to be in my way. I wonder if the Lord wants me to learn to set aside my own desires and my own way and my own will so I might recognize my life is not my own. This is one of our problems we struggle with because we have a, our objectives that we want to fulfill because we have our lives and I want to I get it done. It's my life. I want my, my items taken care of. You know, so it's items like, like those. But if you look in the context, he gives us some ideas um, of different fleshly lusts or passions of our flesh that might be in mind. In, for instance, God has placed authority over us. We might not always like the authority God has placed over us. You, you can start with the, the bigger items of authority from the, you know, the president or you know, the governor or the mayor, you know, Congress, you know, the legislature or the judiciary, all these authorities that God has placed over us. We might not like their thinking. We might not like their plans. But instead of honoring ourselves... Our responsibility is to honor the Lord by honoring those he's placed in authority over us. We can kind of bring it down now and think about, okay, there's, there's maybe a boss at work. We have an authority that's local to us, that's more over our day-to-day -day activities and work. And so maybe they, maybe they don't always make the right choices. Maybe they give you your lunch break two hours into your day instead of right in the middle of your eight-hour day. And you think, well, why do you want me to eat my lunch one quarter of the way through my work shift. Why is it that you're giving me my lunch break at 8 a.m.? Something seems wrong. You know, sometimes that 
sort of thing is going to happen in life. And you, what are you going to do? You can either um, respectfully plead for a different lunch shift, or you can just eat your lunch at 8 a.m. and figure it out the rest of the way. Uh, you'll probably survive, I guess. But that's just a minor thing, right? There are other times that our, uh, our boss at work might make more negatively impacting decisions than that. What do we do about that? Well, instead of trying to get everything that I think I deserve, you're not going to treat me like that. Um, maybe I need to learn that God is trying to teach me something, and perhaps, maybe if you're in that situation, and that's a continuous situation, um, maybe you might start looking for a different employment circumstance where you can have better, uh, treatment that might suit your situation better. Um, everyone wants freedom. Everyone wants independence. But sometimes we're dependent, and we've got to figure that out. These are passions of the flesh that we've got to navigate through. When you get to chapter 3, you start talking about husbands and wives. Talk about us needing to set aside our passions, right? Um, there are certain areas for passion that are happy uh, with, with you know, marriage, and then there are passions that come into the play that maybe are less exciting when you both have a different idea about how to attack a situation that can, that can really produce some conflict. But um, learning that my marital relationship comes underneath my relationship with the Lord and God tells me to set aside the passions of my flesh. He tells me to set aside these things. And in this way, we recognize that our marriage relationship is a, a, a relationship of ministry, which is why in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, he talks about how a wife can win her husband to the Lord without saying a word because she demonstrates something that draws him, draws him toward a relationship with the Lord. And of course, eventually words have to be spoken, right? Because no one gets saved just by observing someone. They have to hear and believe the gospel. And then in verse 7, he talks about the husband. He talks about all the important elements uh, that a husband has to do to live with our wives in an understanding way. Trying to really gather what makes our wives blossom and what makes our, our wives wilt. I don't want to do those things that make my wife wilt. I want to do those things that make my wife blossom. And so we, we learn these things. And this is one of the ways that we show the value that our wives are precious to us. Why is this so important? Because we share together the grace of life. And when I don't do this, God says my prayers are hindered. So he puts my marriage relationship in line with, in light of my relationship with him. So when we come back and think again through verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This, man, this, this passion of the flesh situation really applies to every area of my life because pride and selfishness and bitterness and envy, all these things are part of these passions of my flesh. I want my way, pride, selfishness. I want what I want, bitterness. 
You didn't do what I wanted you to do, and therefore I'm not happy with you. And when that's not addressed, it festers, and it, and it um, insidiously grows within us, and it becomes really, really nasty bitterness and envy. You have something that I want. Jealousy. These are nasty elements of our flesh that God says, these are not helping you. These are not helping you. In James chapter 4, I want to take a moment and take a look at James 4, just one book to your left. I'm sure you're using a device and you're just clicking a couple of buttons, but so one book to the left for me. James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war? What are the last two words there? Within you. Your passions are at war within you. That's exactly what Peter says. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. They are waging war. You think they're waging war against that person that is in your way of getting what you want. And God wants to hone in. He's going to give you an MRI. And that MRI produces an image that is deeper than the surface wound that you have. He's going to show you about the soft tissue damage going on. But it's even deeper than soft tissue because we're not actually talking about ligaments and tendons and cartilage. We're talking about your soul, the real you. God tells you and he tells me, if I don't set aside the passions of my flesh, those passions, while they make war out there, they're first making war in here. And they're doing damage. The word war has the idea of strategy. It's strategizing against me. My passions hurt me. I think, oh, I must have that. And I must have an abundance of it. This will help. I'll feel better. Those foolish passions simply are destroying me. Now, obviously, you can eat pizza. If I couldn't eat pizza, I don't know. I would cry. Would you cry if you couldn't have pizza? No, maybe you like salad. All right, that, you're better than I am. Whatever, you might like other things than I do. But of course, the pizza illustration is, is just foolishness. We're talking about pride and envy and covetousness, these things that actually um, would be the, the focus of Peter's attention and God's attention. Recognize the seriousness of it. There's a negative, a great negative impact that takes place within us when you and I allow our passions to rule. Remember, I, I always bring this illustration up because it, it is so vivid. You've got the creation scene, chapters 1 and 2. You have the sin scene in the garden, chapter 3. And then you have the next sin scene in Genesis chapter 4. And that next sin scene has to do with Cain and Abel. 
And they bring their offerings, and God looks favorably upon Abel's offering. It was in, in line with the way that God demonstrated. And then he was not looking favorably upon Cain's offering because he did it his own way. God says, oh, you know, why is your countenance fallen? What's going on here? And he's all upset. Um, but remember this statement that God made. If you do well, will you not be blessed or rewarded? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is to be over you. It's easy for us to look out there into the world for illustrations for this. All you have to do is, is go to a treatment facility where people have been addicted to narcotics or alcohol. You know, they, they have institutions where they try to help them come off of their chemical dependencies and all of this stuff. Say, all right, I, I can see it. I can see that they have uh, this bondage that has come over them because they, they, they started with you know, cocaine or crack or whatever, you know, heroin, whatever the situation is, they started with this and it started to, to rule over them. So it's easy to, to spot that out there with that. You know, you've got people that have to go to you know, some kind of a, a place to deal with their addiction to food. I don't even know the, the nice way to call one of those places, so I'm just going to not say it. But they, you know, the, you've got to go and deal with your, your addiction to food, and they, they go through these camps and try to help them. Easy to spot that. But what about that pride and selfishness and anxiety and depression, covetousness that can rule inside of my soul? Sometimes it's a little harder to spot that. Even though I should feel it because it's waging war inside of me. But God reminds me, this world is not your home. And those things that are waging war against you are from this world. Now, we're not blaming the world because sin starts here inside of me. I don't blame the world for my sin. I don't blame Satan for my sin. I don't blame my wife for my sin or my children for my sin or my government for my sin. I can squarely look myself in the face and say, you sin because you wanted to. But when I allow sin to have its way, it seeks to rule over me. And it takes a position of mastery that it has no right to take because God has freed me from sin being my master. The only time sin masters me is when I say, yeah, I like what you're offering. I choose you. I choose you, and you will be my master. And it wages war within us. It creates serious problems. So that's the negative side, okay? Um, God tells us to, to not give in to the passions of our soul, of our, of our flesh, excuse me, because it wages war against our soul. That's the negative side. There's a positive side, and that's where we come to our third idea for this, this morning. When I abstain from the fleshly lusts that war against the soul, positively, I will be having my conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And he states it this way in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. 
So what we want to recognize for this is this. Reveal God's character within you. You want the world, you want your spouse, you want your children, you want your church family, but you want the world to see the character of God being developed within you. So reveal a godly lifestyle. Look at verse 12. I read it already, but I'm going to read it again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So he's talking about the the Gentiles, those that don't know the Lord Jesus. Our lifestyle is... um, supposed to reflect our relationship with God. And there's a beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's really kind of reduplicated in Colossians chapter 3 in many ways. But in Ephesians 4, Paul kind of talks about what that godly lifestyle of transformation looks like. He tells us um, that instead of lying, like is your custom, speak the truth to your neighbor instead. Instead of stealing, so you can have for yourself labor with your hands, so you can have something to give to those who have need. He says, instead of uh, cursing, speaking words that corrupt and hurt, speak words that are filled with grace that add to the people that are listening. Instead of taking something from them, give something to them with your speech. Instead of being bitter and having that Um, pain exacerbated within you and really exacting terror on those outside of you with your bitterness and resentment and anger. He tells us instead to forgive. These are very basic to the Christian life. But they're not easy. In fact, for us, they're impossible without God's grace. I cannot speak words of truth that build up. I cannot give properly. I cannot forgive rightly without God's glorious transforming work taking place through His Spirit and His Word in me. But this is the lifestyle that God wants us to reveal in our homes, in the church, and in the world. Why? Because this is how we bring praise to Him. This is how we, in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Darkness. Lying. Darkness. Stealing. Darkness. Corrupt communication. Darkness. Bitterness. Wrath. Malice. Envy. Jealousy. Darkness. Into his marvelous light. Speaking the truth. Working hard to give speaking that which is gracious and forgiving. Transformed from darkness to light. And it was that very testimony that made the the people of the church of Thessalonica have a testimony that didn't just make an impact in their area, but to the other churches in the area, surrounding communities. And wherever Paul went, goes to tell someone the gospel. He says, oh yeah, I know all about that gospel. I heard about it from 
from this group over here, these, these believers in Thessalonica. We passed through there all the time. And, and before when we passed through there, they were, they were really scoundrels. And now when we pass through, there, there's like a, a marked difference. They've turned from God, excuse me, from idols to God to serve the living and true God. That was their testimony because God had transformed them. And that's what we want our testimony to be. How is that going to take place? Well, brothers and sisters, this, here's how it takes place. Verse 1, set aside malice and those things that detract from our relationship with the Lord. Verse 2, thirst and hunger after the sincere milk of the word because you'll be growing with regard to your salvation this way because you've tasted that God is gracious. You've come to the one who is chosen and precious. You've placed your faith on that foundation that cornerstone and and because you have placed your faith in him you'll never be put to shame there'll be many that will turn and 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 stumble over that stumbling stone for them they will be put to shame that's a sad thing we bring forth god's praise how by remembering that this world is not our home there's more to life than what's going on here we have a mission and our mission is to remember that that Glory is our future. Our home is heaven. Do things that, that provide for that glorious, abundant entrance into, into glory. So we remember our, our home. And then we set aside our flesh. We set aside the passions of our flesh because we know they don't help us. In fact, they hurt us. And we allow God's character to shine through us. And when that takes place, the end of verse 12 starts to take place. People, speak, they, they were speaking evil against us. But what happened? At the end of verse 12, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, there are lots of different ways that people interpret that. But I think that I, I think the way I understand it, and you can understand it however you think is right, I think what's being said here is, as you and I live out the character of God, and display good character, God's work in our lives, when they see that, they'll know that it is God who produced this. Why? Because we're going to tell them. I'm not a better person because I wanted to be a better person. I'm a better person because God has changed me. He's taken me from darkness to light, and he can do the same for you. How? Because Jesus Christ came into the world. He came perfectly and he lived perfectly. And he obeyed the Father. He laid down his life as an offering, a once for all, perfect offering. God placed on him my sin. He paid the price for my sin. He hung on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead, triumphant over my sin. And that victorious resurrection is a promise that I too will be raised. But not just me. Anyone who trusts Christ alone for their salvation will also be raised like Christ was. He's the first fruits of those who slept in Christ. And so we can tell them why our lives are different, why our character is different, and why we don't speak like other people, and we don't do like other people. It's not because we're goody-two-shoes. It's because God has changed us. And he's continuing to change us. And what happens is they used to speak evil, but instead they themselves come to realize there is salvation for me. There is hope for me. 
I too can be saved. And many will call upon the name of the Lord and will be saved. And instead of being characterized as those who spoke evil of us, they're characterized as those who give God praise on the day of visitation. When God judges, they'll speak his praise instead of speaking our evil because God will have transformed them. This is our mission. Our mission is to display the praises of him who called us out of darkness and placed us into his beloved, marvelous light. And in doing so, we fulfill the mission that God has for us. By remembering our future, by setting aside our flesh, by allowing God to transform us, by displaying good character, and by uh, realizing the ultimate goal of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what, what all the trials and turmoils are. You know them quite well. I can tell you this. If you're a believer, the mission doesn't change. The mission doesn't change no matter what's going on in your life. Hardships, the mission is the same with more difficulty. But the difficulty God will use for my good, if it's my difficulty, and the difficulty will be used for good if it's your difficulty. God is using all these things. And in the process of it all, he's fulfilling his purpose in us and through us. What is that? To display his glory that others would know him as their savior. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, you know what each one that is watching or listening needs. I don't. I don't know what each one needs, but you do. I pray, Father, that you'd use your word in a special way to encourage us, to move us, to mold us, to change us. We want to fulfill the mission that you've given to us, the mission of displaying your glory and seeing people come to know Jesus as their Savior. Father, this week, even maybe even as a result of this storm, give us opportunities to be a helping hand to our neighbors. Give us opportunity to display your character to our, our co-workers, that we might see men and women and children coming to know Jesus Christ as their only Lord, their only God, and their only Savior. We pray you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.